Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste, to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The Gospel of the Lord. I'm so mindful that these pre-holidays are such busy days, and when all of us, I think most of us anyway, would be overwhelmed with things to do and get done, and I think for that very reason, it's all the more important that we take time as we do now to step aside from the busyness and come to realize, as the saying goes, the reason for the season. That we're here to discover the real meaning of Christmas. And to do that through the season of Advent, we come to that discipline in the study of the gospel that prepares us for Christ's coming. And that is the purpose of this particular gospel we look at today, which is a part of the genre of the gospel that's known as the infancy narrative. Perhaps you've heard that expression referring to those stories that relate about Jesus' youth and birth, or birth and youth, I should say. You might know that only two of the four gospels uh, contain these infancy narratives, the gospel of Matthew and Luke that we just heard of, and that they're told in a way to introduce the entire gospel. In fact, these biblical scholars tell us that the infancy narratives are almost a gospel in miniature, containing much like a prelude or prologue to a book or to a musical composition, suggests the themes that we will later discover throughout the entirety of the gospel. And we can begin to see some of that as we look at today's familiar gospel story of the visitation of Mary and Elizabeth. In other words, we can suspect already that there's a lot more than what meets the eye immediately. There's something that's going on 
under the surface or in between the lines of this story that hopefully we can explore here and now. The gospel begins by saying, Mary set out, proceeding in haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. You might be interested in knowing that that trip from Nazareth in Galilee, where Mary lived, to a town of Judah further south, some eight kilometers from west of Jerusalem, in a town where Elizabeth lived, which today is known as Ein Karim, is about 70 miles as a crow flies, so to speak. A straight line from Nazareth to Ein Karim would be 70 miles. So we imagine it was even longer in the winding roads of Judea. And this trip would have presumably taken four days to walk. Keep in mind, this is a woman who is newly pregnant, that is, in her first trimester. And I've been told by pregnant women in their first trimester, as their hormones are adjusting, etc., that this is a time of typical morning sickness. Or as a friend of mine said, morning, you got to be kidding, morning, noon, and night sickness. So it certainly was in the most cumbersome times for Mary that she set out on this journey. It was anything but an ideal time for her, much like we might feel at this time of the year because of all that's going on. And we know, too, something about journeys back then that it was not safe to travel long distances alone, especially for women. And so people ordinarily would join caravans which is kind of cumbersome, you know, traveling with so many people. It's not so pleasant always. Think of the trips you've taken in the car with your family. Um, need I say any more? Anyway, we can imagine Mary in this very difficult time, physically and probably emotionally in her life, that she began this journey, which is certainly part of a journey of faith, huh? That led her to visit her kinswoman or cousin Elizabeth. Imagining now this four-day journey, which she's joining probably this caravan of people. Now, what is more important for Luke is the fact that this is to be the first meeting of St. John the Baptist and Jesus. And it is these two people that represent the beginning of a whole new age. Imagine that we're all on this journey, and as it were, we're going across a bridge, leaving the Old Testament era, heading to this New Testament, New Covenant era of the Lord. And as these two pregnant women meet, it's symbolic of a certain pregnant moment in human history pregnant with meaning, insofar as this is a moment that's filled with expectation and hope of the new life that will come forth from this womb of Mary, blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth said, when she heard Mary's greeting, the baby stirred in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and cried out in a loud voice, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's very interesting to note historically at this time that prior to the public appearance of John the Baptist, there was a common opinion held by most people at Israel at the time that there had been a long drought of the Holy Spirit. It had been thought that for hundreds of years there had been no acknowledged prophet sent by God. Many believed that God was withholding his spirit because of Israel's hard-heartedness. So that being understood, Luke incedes and interprets this visitation of these two women as the spirit being poured out for the first time in a long time as anyone who comes in contact with Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary, who conceived this Christ child through the power of the Holy Spirit, approaches her kinswoman Elizabeth, who also is pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see inspired prophecy coming forth from the mouth of Elizabeth. She cries out as a great prophetess, but who am I, mother of my Lord, should come to me? Remember, prophet is always one who speaks out the word of the Lord and points us to the Lord. She says, the moment your greetings sounded in my ears, the baby stirred in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who trusted that the Lord's words to her would be fulfilled. Luke and the other biblical writers always see the prophecy as something that stirs something deep inside of our soul, huh? So that this stirring of the Spirit in Elizabeth is a sign of this new life. And Elizabeth interprets this baby stirring in her, in her womb as a leap for joy. Now I'm reminded of the landing on the moon. You have to think of it in terms of this great moment when Neil Armstrong, the astronaut, took the first steps on the moon as the long end of a journey that, that led to this climactic goal when we would reach the moon. And he said these words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Remember that in 1969? That's the kind of climactic moment filled with the drama of salvation history that Mary and Elizabeth experience in this holy encounter of each other in embrace of the Spirit and this leap of the Spirit within Elizabeth is that kind of response that we all hopefully have when we experience the Holy Presence of God, the Holy Spirit coming to us. Have you ever felt your heart just leap, you know, or something stirring within you? That's the real question we want to ask. And oftentimes it comes when we're visiting with beautiful people who love us and cherish us 
and carry the Lord with him. Isn't it interesting that that's what Elizabeth praises Mary for? It isn't so much her kindness or hospitality in traveling all the long distance. Rather, she praises Mary for her obedience and her faith. It's almost as if Mary is that symbol of the disciple who carries Christ within them and shares the Christ with others. And when we experience such people, you know, something in us just responds. And someone once described it so well when he said, you know, you're in the presence of a holy person because you feel holy yourself. You feel this holiness, this goodness come to you. So the question we want to look at ourselves is, where is the Spirit stirring in us? Have we been going through a drought ourselves, you know, a spiritually dry time, which is not uncharacteristic of any of our spiritual journeys? And how can we come to that new life that the whole meaning and message of Christmas offers us? I guess I would like to share how I believe Mary leads us to that experience. Much as happened in this gospel with Elizabeth, Mary can help us experience, like her cousin, this new growth, this new life, this new encounter with the Lord. And I'd like to share an example of that, referring to another visitation of Mary. It is an apparition of Mary that took place quite a few years ago. In fact, not quite four decades after Columbus first set foot on America, and slightly after one decade after the Spanish conqueror Cortez had first set foot on what is now known as Mexico, God showed his love on his people in this new world by allowing a special visitation of Mary to Mexico. On December the 9th, 1531, an Aztec Indian peasant and poor man by the name of Juan Diego was walking to morning mass at Tepeyac Hill near Mexico City when he heard a soft voice calling his name Juanito. Juan then heard this beautiful, almost heavenly-sounding music and followed this up the hill, and was then surprised to discover this vision of this radiant, beautiful woman that smiled so lovingly and tenderly upon him. This lovely lady addressed him in his own native Aztec language and said, and I quote, I am the Virgin Mary the mother of the true God, the author of life, the creator of all things, Lord of heaven and earth. I urgently desire that a church be built here on this site where I may give to you and all your people my merciful love and may show my compassion to all who are devoted to me and seek me in their need. Go to the house of the bishop in Mexico and tell him all that I have told you. Tell him of my desire 
for a church to be built on this site in my honor. Of course, Juan Diego was so taken by this vision that he went immediately to the bishop and presented this extraordinary request, explaining the extraordinary revelation he was given. And the bishop responded, much like any bishop today responds to such reports, he didn't believe it. And so Juan naturally felt very discouraged and returned to that same hill where again he saw Our Lady. And she assured him that he was to be her messenger. And she asked Juan to return the following day to the bishop to make the same request again. Again, the following day, Juan Diego obediently visited the bishop, repeated Our Lady's request that a church be built on Tepeyac Hill in her honor. And again, the bishop, as you might imagine, was very skeptical and requested that some sign be given to show that this indeed is Our Lady requesting this of him. Again, Juan Diego, feeling discouraged, returns to tell Mary, and she assures him that she would give him such a sign on the following morning that he is to return to that site on the hill. But the following morning, upon awakening, Juan discovered his uncle, who was living with him, was seriously sick, and so he decided to stay at home. Personally, I think he used that as a very good excuse. <laughs> Because we hear the following day that when he was going out to find a priest to come and administer the Blessed Sacrament and anointing of sick to his uncle, he decided to take a different route around the hill to avoid running into this lady. And as you could guess, Mary knows her way around and she met him on the other side of the hill saying, Juanito! I could just hear her say that, can't you? As the story is later related, Juan begged her permission to let him continue his way, almost saying, please, just let me out of this one. I'm not your man. You could almost hear that hint of that in his retelling it. And she assured him, first of all, your uncle is well this moment, as indeed later he discovered that moment he was healed. But then Mary insisted, and again I quote, Go now to the top of the hill, and there you will find roses blooming. Pick as many as you can and hold them in your cloak and bring them to me. Knowing now there is no way out of this, of course, he went to the top of the hill and was surprised to discover these flowers that were in bloom, much out of season. Furthermore, in that particular desert climate, there was only cactus that had usually had grown on this hillside and never any roses, to my knowledge or his, I believe. And the fact that he discovered this, he thought this was a sure sign. So he gathered these very beautiful, fragrant flowers in his tilma, which is like a poncho, eh? And he brought them to Our Lady, who arranged them in his tilma, and then sent him to bring them to the bishop. Upon arriving, 
then Juan Diego presented the roses as he opened his tilma, and the bishop immediately saw this beautiful, radiant image emblazed on this burlap tilma. That's like, if you can imagine a burlap sack, this glorious image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. He fell immediately on his knees. And needless to say, he built this basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe there on Tepeyac Hill in New Mexico City in honor of Our Lady for the conversion of all people. Interestingly, it was only six years after this apparition, this visitation of Mary, that they estimate roughly between six and nine million Aztec Indians converted to Christianity. Can you imagine? Mary achieved the purpose for her visitation, which is always, she comes to lead us to Christ who comes to us. I'd like to share this beautiful image. I'm sure you will recognize it. As I explain a few of the graphic points that are not to be overlooked, on this image of Our Lady Guadalupe, you will notice that Mary had long black hair and olive complexion identical to the Aztec Indian. This is part of, no doubt, what led to the great conversion is that the people realized she identified with them, and not only with them, but with the plight of their own journey, huh? the struggle. These are people who were conquered and living under the oppression of the Spanish conquest. And she identified, as she always does, with the suffering children of God and comes to bring them hope. So that's the first thing that she is seeing appears as Aztec Indian herself and appears surrounded and enveloped by the rays of sun, notice on the sides. And the Aztecs would have seen and believed in the sun god. So they would have seen this as Mary who comes in the name of the true god. And Mary is standing on the moon with stars decorating her mantle. And the Aztec people would have recognized that they believed in the gods of the moon and the stars. Again, that Mary represents the true God who sent her with this mission. Also, Mary's mantle or robe is the color of turquoise or bluish green. That is an Aztec color that's related to divinity. Again, don't misunderstand. That's not to say Mary's divine, but to say that she's on this divine mission. And there's this beautiful angel with colors of the Aztec warrior who holds Mary up as the royalty were, were held and carried in procession. Notice, too, this black band around Mary's waist that indicated to the Aztec Indians this was a sign of a woman who is pregnant as she rests her folded hands in prayer on her extended stomach. Interestingly, too, several ophthalmologists have analyzed the eyes of the image of Our Lady Guadalupe and found them quite intriguing and revealing. 
using the advanced technology of the last decade of infrared photography and computers to enlarge the image, they discovered human figures reflected in the eyes. And again, on enlarging these, they imagined these figures to be identical to the bishop and another Aztec Indian who had accompanied Juan, who was holding his hands at this great revelation. The magnificent miracle is that Mary visited this humble people in a way that revealed so much of God to them. As a picture speaks a thousand words, especially to this society that was not a literate society, but a society that spoke through signs and images. She came bringing the message that this gospel today, I believe, brings to us the good news that Christ comes to us and Mary carries him to us, brings Christ to the world. I would like to just briefly share that I had the great opportunity of twice making a pilgrimage to the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. And each time I was profoundly inspired, not only seeing this tilma, which, by the way, after 400 and so many years, 50, 60, 70 years, has not disintegrated as a miracle in itself. Secondly, that you could project an image on this burlap sack that couldn't contain this kind of painting. In fact, they didn't have these kinds of colors in pigments that could be painted back then. It's a miracle in itself. But much more so that the image of Our Lady is so imprinted in the minds and hearts of the Mexican people, and it has led them to a new evangelization, a new conversion, to the Lord, and that was the grace of the pilgrimage for me, that when I went there, I felt like I was Elizabeth. Something stirred in me. I was going through, at the time, a difficult time, and all I can say is, after my prayer experience there, before the image of Our Lady Guadalupe, I felt something leap for joy in me. It was like the Lord saying to me what he wants to say to all of us in this season, I am with you. I am with you. I believe Mary is spiritually coming and visiting us in this season of Advent in order to lead us to the great feast of Christmas that we will celebrate the following week in our Gospel study and later in the Church great solemn feast of Christmas. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.